This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. What would it take for Chicago to be a more just and equitable city? And what kind of leaders do we need to make that happen? Well, the Field Foundation of Illinois has some ideas. The organization recently named this year's Leaders for a New Chicago. They're artists, advocates, community organizers. They're being recognized for their contributions in a number of fields. And they're being called on to create a more inclusive city. Now, this is an important conversation. I think a necessary conversation. And and we have lined up five of the 10 leaders to join us here in studio this hour to talk about the work that they do and the future they envision for Chicago and its people. So let's hear from these three first. Mark Clements is a community organizer at the Chicago Torture Justice Center. Welcome to Reset, Mark. Thank you. Glow Choi is a community organizer with Hana Center. That's a nonprofit working to empower Korean-Americans and multi-ethnic communities. Glad you could join us, Glow. Happy to be here. And Ling Young is a youth organizer at Southside Together, organizing for power. Good to have you back, Ling. Thank you. So first of all, congrats. Thank you so much. <laughs> this yeah. is awesome. <laughs> and this is uh, this program is pretty cool and, and, and unique because uh, the previous cohorts actually nominate the next group of recipients, right? Yeah. So, uh, Mark, I'll, I'll start with you. How does it feel to be recognized as a leader of a new Chicago by your peers at that? Well, I think that times are changing uh, in the realms of how we have been treated as African-American, black and brown people, and that now uh, we are getting just an inch of that piece of the pie. So I am happy. And, you know, the bottom line of it is, is that uh, what I have had to go through as a torture survivor in the city of Chicago, I wouldn't say that it is well overdue, but it It definitely brings some type of reflection, and especially to the little old mothers that are still struggling with their children being locked up. Ling, you said this is well overdue. I mean, how did you react when you got the news that you're one of the 10? If you seen the Instagram thing, I was the one crying. <laughs> I was really, like, like Did amazed. someone call you? Yeah, I had I got a Zoom, and I didn't know at all. So no one even told me that I was even nominated. So I didn't even know nothing about this award before even receiving it. So it was wow. a total surprise. And for me to be the youngest, this is, like, a lot for me, like, I've never had this amount of lump sum money, but I never had this amount of recognition for my work. And I've been doing this work since I was 15. And so for 15 to 22, that's a lot of work to just dedicate yourself, a lot of time to dedicate yourself to organizing, to changing the world, trying to change the world before midnight, I mean, before dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What about you, Glow? What does it mean to be honored with this award? Um, so as an undocumented immigrant, uh, so much of our existence is living in the shadows. And so for myself as an individual, but also as an organizer of other undocumented individuals, to, to come into the light, to be recognized for this work is is a privilege. It's mm-hmm. an honor. I think it's a reflection of all the incredible organizing work that we've been doing on on a on a city level, a state level, and a federal level to push the push the narrative on what it means to be undocumented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as we mentioned earlier, um, you work with Korean, Asian and multi-ethnic immigrant communities in in this area. Mm -hmm. You are very open. We just heard you talk a little bit about your your personal experience. Right. You also say that that is what really influences your approach to this work. So tell us more. Yeah, I think I mean, what it means to be undocumented, you know, there's no monolith in this experience. But for myself, I come from a background of 
having, uh, you know, a low-income family uh, where we really struggled financially, Mm -hmm. a family with, you know, my sister has disabilities and requires full-time care. Uh, So I guess what what we have in common with so many people is is this struggle of not being able to Mm -hmm. live fully. And I think when I think about what it means to organize, not just for immigrants, but for justice, I think it means to organize for for all the people that need and demand uh, power to concede, mm-hmm. and we demand it. Yeah. Your work, Mark, at the uh, Chicago Torture Justice Center, it's, it's also very personal for you. You're a Chicago police torture survivor. Yes. Tell us more about your story and, and how it shapes the work that you're doing with the center. Well, you know, being 16 years old, taken to a police station, having my genitals and testicles grabbed and squeezed, that was quite traumatizing for me. It was very hard for me to explain. Uh, Being an African-American kid, I didn't have the best education. And just looking at a system call me guilty when there's four people who were killed in an arson fire, that was mind-blowing to me. It's still mind-blowing to me because those people... They never received any form of justice. The Chicago Torture Justice Center is amazing. And I think that people all across this country need to start to invest and to repair. You know, Mm -hmm. I am someone that I'm talking about literally traumatized by the criminal justice system Coming out of prison, I want change, and Mm -hmm. I don't know what that change will 100% look like, but I want change. The Chicago Torture Justice Center wants change. The mamas of the kidnapped who I work with closely, they want change, and all we want is justice. Mm. Just for additional context for folks here, your story is remarkable, Mark. Mm -hmm. You were one of the first juveniles to be sentenced to natural life without parole in the state of Illinois. You remained incarcerated. This is from the age of 16, as you said. You remained incarcerated for 28 years Mm -hmm. before your conviction was overturned in 2009. Well, let me tell you, I thank God each and every day for Mm -hmm. having a little mother who fought for me for Mm -hmm. 28 years, not buying into the system to lose me inside of a prison system when really no one cared. And, you know, even looking at my young sister here, this is what encourages me at 60 years old Mm. to still fight because guess what? I know if I sow a seed, she's going to take it and she's going to put water on it so that we can prosper. I will. Wow, Mark. Ling, let's talk about your story. You, you joined Southside Together Organizing for Power or STOP. You were a high school student. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the main goals of the organization, first of all. From when I started? Yeah. or When we started, we wanted to make sure that our school stayed a school. So the Obama Center, they had originally said that they didn't have Hyde Park in the original planning. And that was something that was like mind blowing to us because we were all kids in our freshman year of high school that 
saw this big development as something that could help us advance in our learning, but we wasn't included. And so when I first started organizing, all I really wanted to do was make sure that my sister got to go to Hyde Park, my my children get to go to Hyde Park, and most importantly, that I get the best education. Um, if some of you, some people don't know, like Hyde, Hyde Park is one of the oldest schools on the South Side. Why why do we have to get um, old books, old mm. computers, not the much care of a defunded school? That's what it really was. It was not invested in at the time. And so we only fought for that $42 million for just to have what we thought in our eyes was equal opportunity. And equal opportunity was having the same as the Mount Carmel kids that were a majority mixed school, but majority white kids went there. Why the majority white kids school get to have their soccer field, a football field, a youth center, all the stuff like that. And then the high park kids that live that not even live, but go to school, not even a block mm-hmm. away from there can't even touch these resources. The Big YMCA difference. still wouldn't let you in the Y. What do you think you bring to the table as a youth organizer? I bring to the table the youth. I think that people think about being the voice or being the speaker. I am the orator. That's what I call myself. I am the orator of the youth. I use my boca, my mouth, my mouthpiece, whatever we call it, to continue to push what we as young people deserve Everybody, everybody I've seen at the table and these tables where I've been the youngest at mm-hmm. has been the oldest and talking about what older people think that young people should have. This no one has ever asked me, what do I deserve? Minus all the woman, Jeanette Taylor, all, minus Mayor Brandon Johnson. No one has ever asked me, what do the young people of the city of Chicago deserve and need to continue to flourish like other kids outside of the city of Chicago? Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And for the fifth year, the Field Foundation of Illinois is recognizing leaders for a new Chicago. We're talking to a few of the 2023 recipients who are working on justice initiatives. Glo Choi of Hana Center, Mark Clements with the Chicago Torture Justice Center, and Ling Young of Southside Together Organizing for Power. So, Glo, this award is going to come with a no-strings-attached grant of $25,000. Huge deal. Very. Talk to us about how <laughs> how is this going to support your work? Um, well, the amazing part is that an additional $25,000 is going to be going to the HANA Center in a similar fashion, no strings attached. And uh, we're so grateful to have this opportunity to continue doing our work, to continue our youth programming, to to train and educate you know, folks who are on the ground now, people who are experiencing trauma now, who need solutions now. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for Hana Center to continue doing those in an unrestricted manner. And then for myself, I'm not really sure what $25,000 means. Um, I mean, there are some immediate needs that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like? My mom's car just broke down. <laughs> that's, oh. that's, that's something that comes to mind in terms of hierarchy of needs. I also think it's important to celebrate every win, every victory. And, you know, this $25,000 is a community victory as much as it is a victory for myself. So hopefully some celebrations are, are, uh, are going to be on the way, too. Mark, how do you plan on using the, the 25000 to support your work? Well, uh, first of all, uh, as the brother explained, twenty-five grand goes to the Chicago Torture Justice Center, Twenty-five grand to me. There's no other way to bring any recognition to the hard work of my mom's 
other than taking some time and using some resources with the moms of the kidnapped in the city of Chicago who deal with their children still entrapped by a criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So I have every intentions of giving back to them during the month of July, as well as also investing to try to explore some type of attention around additional people that are inside of our prisons. Mm -hmm. And in closing, one thing that I want to say, my dream in the city of Chicago is not the money, but to end up on uh, Francisco, Tanya Francisco. I know you listen to this program. (laughs) I want to be on your program, W. What, what, what? Other, other network. <laughs> Ling, what about you? 25000 for you, 25000 for Southside Together Organizing for Power. Um, really like how everybody started off that, like, this is the continuance of my work. Stop will continue to be able to give to young people um, in the Woodline, um, South Shore, and other communities. This, this um, is money to continue to create, expanding a horizon of paying young people to continue to learn how to do be restorative justice keepers, paying young people on um, learning the organizing 101, how to even organize. I think that's something that we are wanting to string in more on. Um, also, we're... Like, we just want to continue to keep doing the good work. Like, that's what I keep doing. You you mentioned Mayor Johnson earlier. Talk more about the kind of support you want to see from the mayor and his administration on the issues that you're focused on. I want to see more support from the mayor for really rolling out the peace book in the way that we designed it. We want this to be not an artificial, watered-down, something that isn't, something that will work and bring light to the young people that really are trying to keep peace in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, I want and we demand that we can that you roll out as quick as possible a way for young people to get paid all year around to continue to do work, to t- continue to do good work, or even to continue to just go to school. I think, and last thing is, roll out and continue to roll out a safety plan for young people to continue to have access to the city of Chicago like every other white or other counterpart Mm. student. We deserve to be in Millennium Park also. Mm -hmm. Create Millennium Park to be a space for black, brown, and white students. Mm -hmm. We want downtown to be accessible to us as black and brown students. Mm -hmm. That is what we deserve, and that's what we demand from Mayor Johnson's administration. Mark, earlier on the show, we were talking about Mayor Johnson's plan to uh, create a memorial for for police torture victims. It's an idea that we know started under the former mayor, Lightfoot. Well, it did not start under the former mayor. I want to bring clarification to the city of Chicago. It started under Rahm Emanuel. Let me tell you, I am so happy that we finally is able to get some funding for this memorial. But the reality of it is that black and brown people shouldn't have to beg Mm -hmm. to uh, complete a reparations plan uh, that was implemented back in 2015. Mm -hmm. The Chicago Torture Justice Center, where I work, 
it needs additional funding. It needs additional funding to provide for clinical workers. It needs additional funding to provide for reentry. Black and brown people should not have to go to prison. And then when they come back out, they remain to suffer. Mm. Glow, the city's struggling to provide basic services and housing yes. to the thousands of migrants that we know have been arriving here in Chicago since last August. Given your personal connection to this particular story, right, what's it been like for you to watch the tough journey for these asylum seekers unfold? It, it's heartbreaking because so many of us in the city of Chicago are suffering, and then people who've made the, the arduous and life-threatening journey to come all the way here to not have the support that they need that, you know, within the Constitution of the U.S., you know, seeking asylum uh, is it, it, a human right. And yet, you know, people, people just have been pointing fingers, have been trying to divide the city when everyone who is suffering deserves to have the support they need to survive. Um, it's, yeah, it's really heartbreaking. And I think the city of Chicago, as well as the, as well as the state of Illinois, what they really need to do is be be accountable. You know, we have all of this housing opportunity at McCormick, right? Or when, um, you know, when people are asking where should uh, asylum seekers go, I yeah. think that conversation should be had, but funding should be given to everyone who requires this kind of housing, right? Yeah. Well, let's go real quick around the room here because I would love to hear what each of you find inspiring about the work that other leaders across the city are doing. So, Mark, maybe I'll come to you first. Anybody that you want to shout out? Other local groups? Well, let me tell you, I give a shout out to all of our young people. I would not be able to make it without our young people. So to all of these groups, whether it's so or whatever group it may be, I hats is off. This is a hard fight. Love you, mamas. (laughs) (laughs) Ling, whose work have you been paying attention to? Um, I've been paying attention. Well, I work with all of these groups, so I'm going to shout out the HANA Center, (laughs) BPSC, PBMR, Woodlawn Sort of Justice Hub, Stop. You know, I'm going to shout out my home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Lynn and all the 20 Good Kids Mad City, like, and all of the orgs that's been really doing the work and putting feet on the ground to really do what we're supposed to do for the young people of the city of Chicago. Yes. And I'll give you the last word, Glow. I think one particular group I need to give a shout out to is Healthy Illinois. Uh, right now, we're working on a critical campaign to ensure that undocumented, undocumented immigrants have access to Medicaid. And right now, uh, as of July 1st, they will be, you know, there are emergency rules to rescind enrollment, uh, to add co-pays. And uh, we, we need our health care that we've been fighting for so desperately And that's the campaign I want to give a huge shout out to. We've been speaking with Glow Choi of Hana Center, Mark Clements with the Chicago Torture Justice Center, and Ling Young of Southside Together Organizing for Power or Stop. Thank you all for being here today. Thank Thank you. you. Congrats again. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We're continuing our conversation about how to make Chicago a more equitable city and the leaders that we need to get us there. Before the break, we heard from people who work at justice organizations serving police torture survivors, immigrant communities, and low-income black residents. 
Let's hear now from two more leaders for a new Chicago who are using their art to make the city a more inclusive place. So joining us now is Vanessa Harris. She supports creative opportunities for the disability community as the president and founder of Strategy for Access Foundation. Welcome to Reset, Vanessa. Thanks. Hi, Sasha. And Yvette Moyo is founder and executive director of Real Men Charities, which advocates for fathers, families, and community development. Nice to have you, Yvette. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Congratulations, ladies. Good. Thank you. Thank you. This is incredible. What went through your mind, Vanessa, when you found out that you are a leader for a new Chicago? I didn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an interview to, to, to go further so I could get it rejected. <laughs> oh, no. You thought but it was I'm just a, call, a callback. I'm excited. Oh, I love that. I love that. Huge smile on your face today, so I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about you, Yvette? I was just um, excited. I thought it was very appropriate. I want to see a new Chicago. I want to see, and I feel it. I feel it. Um, I was playing Can You Feel a Brand New Day when um, Brandon Johnson won. It wasn't because, and I thought Lori, you know, should have had a, another opportunity but this, the visual of this man and his family, it looks like a younger Chicago is coming forward. And I am so excited about that. So, Did you even know that someone had nominated you? No, I didn't. In fact, um, one of my friends called and said, you know, what am I supposed to say about you? I'm doing an interview and I know so much about you. What do you want me to? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, you were nominated for this, this, this award. And I said, no, I think Somebody told me they nominated me last year, and I said, is it? And she's like, you don't know? I'm like, I really don't know. <laughs> what a nice but, surprise. But, Sounds like surprises all around here. What about yes. you? Did you know, Vanessa, that you I were in the running? I was going to be nominated, um, but um, the person that nominated me had looked at my application for something else a couple of years before and mm-hmm. rejected me. <laughs> so I thought she was just... Being nice. So so no wonder you were you were just assuming that bad news was around the corner. Yeah. Right? And so shocked. It, no, and and she she was she really surprised me. She's really supportive. Oh wow, I love that. I think she was saving the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, so you ladies, you both use art and storytelling to to uplift different Chicago communities, right? Yvette, I know you've dedicated I think forty five years. To, to creating opportunities for business and, and family, community growth. Uh, you focus on wellness, too. So, so talk more about the work that you do through Real Man Charities. Well, we start, I started an ad sales for a black um, magazine that focuses on business. And so that whole black business development thing is in my blood. And I did that in my 20s and early 30s, started my business at 35, and basically launched Real Men Cook, which is what most people know me for, the Real Men Cook Father's Day celebrations. Ah, and so, so that's where the name comes that's from, where Real the Men name Charities. Came from. And then after the event was so successful and we had generated about a million dollars to nonprofits from the proceeds, um, uh, in about the 10th year we became a nonprofit Real Men Charities. So people do think it's kind of curious that I'm leading uh, the organization. What men. sounds like a men's organization. That's right. But, you know, one of the things about... Our existence here as black people in America is that the black male was taken out of the picture in so many instances. Uh, And there was no family structure, meaning no man was the breadwinner. And so in in the system of slavery and other things we've been through, it has diminished the African-American male. So that celebration 
became a movement for us. And we kind of dropped all of our other business operations to continue to promote the fact that a family is not a family without a father and that no matter what the configuration of the family is, it's valuable. And that real men, a man, a coach, a uncle, a grandfather, and that biological Mm -hmm. father are all important to building our children to be whole and complete. Wonderful. And Vanessa, you're an artist who's uh, living with multiple disabilities. And you have said before that you, you felt like the disability community doesn't focus on fun. No. So how are you trying to change that through your foundation? Because, I mean, you are just a whole ball of joy sitting in front of me right now. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, we have two websites where we, we produce videos um, for the disability community. And the videos show that people with disabilities have just as much to offer, if not more, than people who are able-bodied. And we also want to show that people with disabilities experience joy. That's what we're about. Yeah, joy. Yeah. We have a project going on right now to show that Chicago is disability-friendly, and we're producing 15 videos for the city for tourist venues showing that they're accessible. You you also see your work uh, as a form of protest uh, against widespread ableism and, and systemic discrimination that's experienced by people with different abilities. Tell us more about how you have faced those issues in your life. What has that looked like personally? Well, I since I have multiple disabilities, um, I'm a wheelchair user and I'm a cancer survivor and I also have bipolar one. And in my previous career as an engineer, um, I experienced a lot of discrimination when I would become ill with my bipolar disorder, and I lost several jobs. Mm. Um, Now that I have my own business or nonprofit to run, I get to dictate what I do, and I'm not under any stress. I'm meeting nicer people, and it's just... A lot more fun to deal with. And you're your own boss. Yeah. And you're fun to deal with. Thank you. Yvette, <laughs> <laughs> um, you've spent a lot of your time and your effort, as we, we've heard, highlighting black voices. Your nonprofit currently publishes uh, the Southside Drive magazine, as you've, you've talked about. What topics and, and stories do you focus on? We really focus on the arts and culture to heal and to build. So I use in social media... Um, I use the hashtags Art Heals, and when uh, and we bought a, a entertainment venue, an arts and entertainment venue uh, in South Shore. Uh, five years ago, it was where our office was located four years before, and it was important not to see that venue shuttered. And so we became the owners of it. So it became a community hub, and the and so we sp- we talk about that. Um, the subtitle of the magazine. Southside Drive is Guide to the Good Life, Chicago. Now, who is talking about that? In other media, all you're really hearing in, in a mostly print media, and this is a print publication yeah. and an online publication, um, we're not talking enough about what does that good life in Chicago look like. And there is a good life to be had. Without speaking it, you know, the word is very powerful. And that's, we speak this good life opportunity to children all the time. We have a free summer camp at the quarry right now mm-hmm. during the um, during the pandemic 
uh, we had an energy. We have a raised stage. We have uh, excellent entertainment there. But uh, doing you do, you do weekly jazz. Weekly jazz is something we did. Now we are we're we're on a hiatus this summer because there's so many free events. Kudos to the city of Chicago and D-Case. Sort of kudos because last year we were like losing money because so many people were going to free events. So we had to change our model. We have to pivot, and when you're in business like that. But during the pandemic, we um, changed to a community hub where we distributed over a million pounds of food, of groceries, to our community as that hub. And so it is about love. It is about, um, you know, I I use the black-on-black love hashtag a lot, too, which came from uh, Ed Gardner, formerly the head of South Sheen Magazine that Mm -hmm. passed uh, recently. And uh, that black-on-black love is really what we're promoting. Once people hear that, the, you know, the DNA, the system changes a little bit because they want to know more about this love thing. Yeah. This is what we should be speaking, what we should be doing. We publish the magazine. We do educational seminars called Moby, Marketing Opportunities in Business and Entertainment. We're no more outside of Chicago for that. And just so much more. It's just all about love and, yeah. pour, and pouring into this city in a way that everyone can feel uplifted. You mentioned, uh, Vanessa, your, your website and YouTube channel, Fun for the Disabled. It, it offers uh, fitness videos and interviews and story time readings. Um, you did a mental health series as well. Yeah. You, you just talked to us about living with bipolar disorder. Why is it important to destigmatize mental health, especially within the disability community? Um, people with um, just with mental health disorders are not understood at all. Um, and um, like, for example, if I say I'm, I'm just now coming out of the closet myself saying I have bipolar one, I normally don't say it. In fact, when we put the series out a year and a half ago, I wasn't, I didn't include the interview of myself because mm. I was too afraid that there'd be some backlash. Um, and you're no longer afraid? No, I'm not. No. What changed? I just started telling one person at a time, and they'd say, oh, really? And they'd either change the subject because it didn't mean anything, or they'd be like, well, you, you must have it under control. And I do. I see my doctor. I see a therapist. I'm not, I take care of myself. I handle my sleep problems well, and I take my medication. So I do what I'm supposed to do. And if I feel like I'm going off, off, off the rails a little bit, I say something, which Mm. I didn't used to do. Very good. Yeah. You, you took a documentary class at Hyde Park Art Center in Chicago as well. And, And that I hear changed the trajectory of your life because it's, it's led you down the path of, of covering these important issues that the community faces. Uh, you've talked about buying an accessible car as a wheelchair user. Yeah. You know, for one example, how do you want to open the doors to the next generation of storytellers, Vanessa and, and filmmakers? Well, um, I work with a lot of the universities in the area. Um, we have interns from, Northwestern, DePaul, Loyola, Columbia, um, and a couple others. I'm trying to, and also from University of Illinois, Chicago. And there have even been some from my alma mater, which is in Iowa. 
So we've had students that do it remotely. And we have one student who's working with me this summer who is, he's located in Florida for the summer, but he goes to Northwestern. They're usually communications or film students, and we're trying to get more interns that work with us who are who have disabilities. So I'd like to put the word out right now. If you're listening to me and you're a student and you have a disability, contact me at fun at fun the number four the disabled.com and let me know because I want to hear from you. Your work is, um, it's separate, Yvette, but it shares the common goal of, of making Chicago a more inclusive and equitable city. How do you see your efforts supporting each other? Um, one, I, I just I just love Vanessa. I love her spirit. I just, I'm so inspired. And it's just, it is the same. And I'm glad we're on this panel together because we have the same spirit that nothing is wrong that everything can be that lemonade, you know, the lemon can be turned into lemonade. Um, I think that, you know, we'll be working together in the future. I'm getting choked up. Yeah. So am I, (laughs) you know? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So it's, it's a good city. It's a good opportunity. Um, We just keep creating. I believe that this award uh, was extended to me because I'm a creator. And when I see a problem, I create something to help, to help solve it. Yeah. Today, our children uh, at the sum- free summers camp, it's called Quarry, the Camp and the Key of Life, is about extending male life expectancy, but we're dealing with seven-year-olds to 14-year-olds to oh, do that wow. so they could go tell their grandparents how to m- mitigate diabetic oh, I love it. breakdowns and things like that. That's We've been great. talking with Yvette Moyo with Real Men Charities and Vanessa Harris of Strategy for Access Foundation. Thank you both so much.